Canucks Central Friday, and it is a good Friday. Bruce Boudreaux is returning to the Vancouver Canucks. Officially, the team making that announcement, Bruce Boudreaux, we will hear from him in about an hour's time. He's back. Bruce, there he is. Bruce is back. I don't know. What What do you want to come up with on this? I, I'm sure somebody will come up with a song for us. <laughs> Text it in, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber. Bruce is back. Uh, you could do like a, maybe an Eminem remix. Guess who's back? <laughs> back again. Bruce is back. <laughs> Tell a friend. <laughs> That could maybe work. Maybe. That's the, I think we're on to something. Uh, this hour of Canucks Central is presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. A lot of reaction to Bruce Boudreaux's return. Yannick Hansen will be joining us in a couple of moments. Also, Rob Simpson, Vancouver Hockey Now, uh, who had the first exclusive with Bruce earlier this week. He will join us after 4.30, his take on what exactly happened in these last couple of days leading up to this decision. We talked about it yesterday off the top of the show, and some uncertainty sat, but you were pretty steadfast in saying that this is still going to get done one way or another, but at the same time, the longer you leave it lingering, the more you let wonder creep into the conversation. Yeah, and the longer it goes, then the more likely it is that something gets in the way of something getting done. But it never seemed to me like it was in jeopardy of happening. Yeah, of course, there are probably some hard feelings mm-hmm. or some disappointment, perhaps. Yeah. And and perhaps, you know, the talk in the media isn't exactly what everybody had you know, loved. And this is what we talked about before. Like I, you know, I jokingly the next day after Alvin and Rutherford met with the media, I joked and said, Hey, did they, did they negotiate through the media? Was that, <laughs> was that almost like too, too much from yeah. those guys in the media? So I think if you, if everyone takes a step back, maybe less would have been more. And that would have maybe made it a bit more seamless, but I never got to sense Dan that this was ever in jeopardy or that the parties were ever at loggerheads. As uh, the Brits would say. Well, you assess the situation, and what are Bruce's options beyond Vancouver? Where are they? What do they look like? Did they even materialize? Those are all questions I think are fair to ask. Um, But realistically, it worked so well here through the second half of the season, not just with how the fans embraced Bruce there it is and all of these different things and how the team played with Bruce Boudreaux as their coach but look there's still a lot of good pieces here and if Bruce does want to uh, continue coaching and have a chance at getting back to the postseason and seeing what he can do there maybe proving himself a little bit more in that type of a situation Mm -hmm then Vancouver does offer him that opportunity, even if there's still a lot of uncertainty as to where this roster heads in the near future. Yeah. The sense I got asking around a little bit too, Dan, was the market outside of Vancouver wasn't really robust. Right. For Boudreaux. We all kind of sensed how well he coached. And does this mean he, he's going to have plenty of options? And that's not to say he wouldn't have consideration. And I think that... As teams go into the offseason and figure out the coaching situation, he may have been on teams' lists, but not like number one or two. Or yeah. like, this is the guy we want. We have to reach out. And 
There was an opportunity here, and this is what I mentioned yesterday. There was enough opportunity here for somebody who's not in the playoffs that really wanted Boudreaux to make or to take a run at him, and yeah. they didn't, and they haven't, and maybe they did quietly, and he and he said no to it. But that's just the sense that we kind of got looking at this. As much as yes, we believed Boudreaux should be back, and yes, it seemed like he did such a great job that got it the attention of the league. Doesn't seem like it really changed his standing with a lot of other teams outside of Vancouver. Let's bring in our next guest. He joins us every Friday here on Canuck Central, former Vancouver Canuck Yannick Hansen. Thanks for this, Yannick. Happy Friday to you. Um, Bruce Boudreaux is uh, officially coming back. Your take? Yeah, probably the well, best, uh, well kept, no, no secret or whatever you say. I mean, <laughs> it was the way it should have been. Uh, everything else, anything else would have been a, a PR nightmare if you asked me. Um, Obviously, granted, the new coach come in and win the Stanley Cup next year, uh, then we would have looked past this. But um, it would not have been a good scenario bringing in another guy um, if things didn't go perfectly for that guy. Um, so it was the right thing to do to bring him back. Um, it seemed like um, the the club, the organization, got him back on, on their terms, the terms they set forth when they brought him in uh, a quarter into the season or however long it was. Um, so kudos to them for not uh, not giving up two or three, four years uh, right down the line if that's what he, he wanted initially. Um, but but bring him back on, a, if you, in player terms, show me contract. Um, and again, if he continues where he left off, there, there's no question they're going to extend him. Um, but again, now he's got uh, a whole summer. Um, Bruce seems like a very methodical uh, guy uh, right down to the deep. So now he gets to put his hands on his team a little bit more uh, a summer um, looking at certain type of players you want to bring in uh, players you want to, to play in your environment in your style um, and then see where he, he can take this team. Yeah. And the question that management seems to have is the whole structure element. How much better can you be structure wise and can your breakouts improve? Can you improve? Can you have more controlled exits? And when you're coming in, you know, 25 games into a season and things are in shambles, it seems like he just wanted to simplify things as much as anything, and that was just get the puck out and worry about it later with the quick ups. As far as now having the time in the offseason and then having time in training camp to instill different breakouts and more controlled exits, how critical can that be? And is that something maybe coaching staff, I mean, management wanted to see that once he gets a, a real chance of putting those things together, how well he can do that? I think anytime you hear of of changeover new guys coming the first word that comes to mind is oh i want to evaluate i want to see what i have i want to kind of see where where things goes when you get thrown in and you have one day to prepare for your next game there's no time to evaluate your your personal you're just running with what you have and and, uh, patching as we go a little bit where where now he has an, an opportunity um to instill his systems his beliefs um this is how i want to play um Again, we're 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 kind of back to personal now. We we need some different type of players in different kind of spots here. But but that's what the off season is for, and hopefully that will will breed into whatever it is Bruce is trying to instill. Obviously, we'd like to see more more of the same, winning these games, but in a little more of a in a controlled manner. I'd prefer them not having to win, uh, scoring five and six games uh, or goals a night. Uh, I prefer them to be able to to lock down teams as well. Um, so, so again, this will give him ample time to, to do the evaluation. Obviously, him having coached for uh, 50 games, he, he's got a pretty good idea of the players he's having. 
but but again the, the time it takes to uh to realize okay i, I need a, a right-handed here i need a left hand here uh, and who's out there to to be brought in for me to to do these things that that's what he's got time for now so again off season will be will be good for him i'm sure um tone everything down a little bit here and then moving forward into into free agency and 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 the draft and stuff like that hopefully you'll start to see uh see the teams to take shape in terms of what uh what Bruce have in mind did you see any details that changed under Bruce Boudreaux or was a lot of the uh a lot of the success just come down to hey the star players uh, figured out their game a little bit well, he took the reins off them. So the, the forechecking was the ones that, that, that you could really was noticeable without being in the room. Um, they weren't sitting back anymore. Um, they, they weren't sitting back four guys with one guy kind of steering in front. Uh, now they were forechecking two, sometimes three guys between uh, behind the goal line. It's not something I'd advocate for. Um, but again, the fact that they have the, 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 the free hands to, to forecheck like that, it meant you move the, the game a little bit more up in the offensive zone and, and you put the pressure all the not all the the, the best players vancouver have our offense obviously quinn is a big part of it as well but their strengths are in the offensive zone like i said we'd like to see some guys who be able to to shut down as well but they don't have a lot of those so we needed to play an offensive mind game we needed to play with the puck we needed to play with speed uh with pressure uh the forecheck kind of put them in that situation because it forces players to to skate and work and and be in the right position because otherwise uh, it's tic-tac-toe and then the other team are out and, and you're, you're chasing the whole game. Um, so I think that part of it really opened up the offense. Um, against defense, was it was the same thing, I think, pretty much the entire season. The difference once they started scoring, again, you started winning some of those games. Obviously, a lot of it accredited to, to the players started picking up the pace as well. But um, again, the forecheck was a noticeable difference to me. Uh, penalty kill, they looked like they pressured a lot more, but, but it did not look structured in any way. Uh, penalty kill, I feel like it has to be structured. Um, you have to be in the right position because you're reacting all the time. Um, power play is dictating the play, and all you can do is try to anticipate, uh, see what they're doing, uh, and then read and react. Um, so you need to have a sound structure and then kind of force them. So I know in our neutral zone, we're pushing them two ways. Either he's going to go left or he's going to go right. We do not want them down the middle, but that's up to them. And then when they do that, then we read and react. Obviously, there is things that happens all along the way at these things, but you want to simplify it and you do that with structure and it starts from your neutral zone and then into your defensive zone. And that carries on through the entire game. So, so again, structure is something that will be vital for this team, not only in mm-hmm. breakouts, but but in the entire game in order to you to to shut down teams a little more efficiently. Do you think the best coach the Canucks had, I mean, the best systems coach the Canucks have had, is that maybe Elaine Vigneault? Have they had a coach, do you think, who's as good a systems as AV was with you guys? Oh, that's a tough question. I don't know. Uh, uh so that's putting me on the spot there in terms of, of best uh, best structured coach. All the coaches were, were different, but they all had their structures in, in, in certain ways, certain ways they wanted to play. Mm-hmm. And, and then the players have the freedom within the structure. And that's where teams really shine. Once you have something that everything buys into, um, but 
underneath that pyramid, everybody's playing to their advantages. So if I have a, a heavy hitter, he can still do that. If I have a skilled guy, he can still do that. If I have a defensive soul, a defensive checker, he can still do that. Within the structure, you're still playing to your strength. So it is more so that the communication, the lines are open, making sure everybody is on the same page. So we do have some sort of structure, but then everybody's playing to their strengths as well. Yannick Hansen, our guest. So, so now the focus uh, goes goes into the off season, and, and of course, you know what what does this team need? <laughs> if you uh, if you had Bruce Boudreaux's cap on, uh, what would you be asking management? Uh, to add a little bit more of maybe not specific players, but like traits you can find for this team to have potentially more success. Well, yeah, I can, Chris Tanev, that, that type of player. Um, I know it's easy to, to pick on him. He's one of the best at what he does, but um, that type of player who can slide in next to an OEL next to a Quinn Hughes, um, find, find that type of defenseman who is, Phenomenal on the penalty kill, loves to block shot, um, can skate, <laughs> it's a lot of wants there, can skate 20 minutes a night, um, find somebody who can fill that, that, that role. So we have that uh, top four that is, when you look at a lot of the teams that are having success right now, it, they have defensemen that, that can do that. They have defensemen that can fill those roles, skate those minutes, uh, play against the top guys in the league. Um, and then alleviate some of the some of the pressure, so uh, Kale McCarr can can go off on on the offense. Uh, Morgan Riley can can rely a little bit more on the offensive side because there is guys picking up the slack defensively. I don't have to play a minute and a half of every single penalty kill because we are allocating uh, roles around here, spreading the ice time around. So again, you're pulling him off some of that 26, 27 minutes a night. But the minutes we're pulling away is the minute is in my own end. I don't need Quinn Hughes battling net front and in corners, cross-checking, uh, trying to uh, to push Milan Lucic away from in front of net because that's not wise uses of him. I'd prefer him in the offensive zone, breaking pucks out in transition. So that, that would be my number one. Uh, number two, um, granted, I don't know what they're going to do with their centers right now. Uh, Miller, Petey, and Horvat obviously is, is three phenomenal centers. Um, but I prefer those three to play 20 minutes a night, which means we don't need a fourth-line center. Mm-hmm. So, so something needs to go here. Either one of them needs to go to the wing, um, which is probably the best-case scenario. And if that happens, then I need a third-line center. Um, and I need a right-handed center as well. Um, so th- those are my, my top two. After that, we're starting to, to nitpick a little bit here more in, in the bottom six. Uh, bottom six. Um, I want a little bit more physicality. I want some pushback, not just from Luke Shen. Uh, I prefer somebody who can come in, um, hopefully score 10 goals, um, but be that not a deterrent. You don't need that anymore. But but a little bit uh, reckless. So like, okay, we don't really know what's gonna happen out here. Is he gonna hit me today? Is he gonna beat me up today? Um, just that you have that. Uh, Luke provides a, a ton of that, and it, it's great. Um, but a forward is a little more free. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke is not gonna go punish a defenseman because c- he's just not in that position. Yeah, he'll finish his checks on a forward. But but a, a forward can go hunting. Um, I say that in the, yeah. in terms where like obviously you can't go overboard, but you can put in a favorable position and you can take runs at defensemen. It's a lot easier for a guy like that to do. 
So it is the fringe positions outside of the defenseman that you need to fill. Um, but but those would be three three big spots for me. Well, and the other thing that I'm really curious curious about next season and with Boudreaux being back is what type of level can he get Elias Pettersson up to and how much better can Pettersson get? And especially because Boudreaux was there to watch Alex Ovechkin early in his career and different players, not comparing the guys, but just in terms of even Nick Backstrom, maybe a better comparison. He went through the, the transitions when he was there and saw the evolution in him. When there's a coach who's been there with great players and, and helped them along, what do you think we can see from Patterson under Boudreaux next season? Yeah, I, I hope he finds some consistency for him. I, I don't want to see him shifting around from winger to center um, on different lines. Uh, if Petey is our number one, which I, I think he should be, given his age, his, uh, what he's able to do, what he has shown he can do, um, the, 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 the Omaga here is finding finding the, the, the chemistry he needs, finding the two wingers he needs in order for him to, uh, to take their game and his, his own game to the next level for the next five to ten years. Um, if, if you find a way to utilize him to his potential, you'll have a, a difference maker for the next decade that, that will change the outlook for this team. And then everybody else will fall in line after him. Where right now we're like, oh, JT Miller, he's a very, very good player. But is he our number one center? Or, or is Pete? And where, where is Bo? And what are their roles? So I'd prefer them to find some chemistry for, for him, uh, some consistency. Um, and you mentioned uh, Washington. Obviously, Alex and, uh, and Backstrom has been playing together for uh, 12, 15 years now. Uh, and and you see what a, a partnership like that can do, uh, and that's only one guy because they've been able to take just about anybody in under their wing. Same thing with the twins. Um, you can say the same thing about uh, uh, Getzlaff and Perry in Anaheim. It almost didn't matter who you put with them; they just elevated whoever it was to a whole nother level. So again, find somebody, hopefully two, that works really well with Petey, and then get him settled. So um, I was looking through your hockey DB, and uh, you're That's a short read. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, there's some good numbers on there, Yannick. I mean, for a guy drafted in a round that doesn't exist, <laughs> really, not bad. Um, but uh, your year in the KHL, you would have played against Andre Kuzmenko, who's obviously uh, maybe has the uh, Canucks on a short list of teams he'd be willing to join in the NHL. Uh, do, do you remember him? He wasn't. Uh, as dynamic a player then as he is now in the KHL, but uh, do you remember anything about the player? He was uh, he was actually part of the team that I ended up with um, that summer. He was part of a blockbuster trade, if you will. Uh, he got shipped off from the team I ended up on to to St. Petersburg. Right. Um, so I didn't know of him, um, and I, he played a little bit. Like I said, he he was young, so he didn't have a, a big role. Um, in terms of what you can expect, um, I'm putting him more in the line of uh, Nikita Gusev, uh, Vadim Shipeshev, than Kirill Kaprizov. Uh, he, he's not that type of player. Um, so I, I tempered the expectation a little bit there, and it's more in terms of, of the other line of players there. Um, he, he's got skill, um, but it's not at the same dynamic as Kaprizov. Well, and as far as making that transition from European ice to North American ice, you made the other transition. You obviously played in Europe, too, so you knew you were very familiar with that ice. But what level of quickness do guys need to have to be successful in this game compared to what they do at the KHL? 
Yeah, so the first two guys I named, uh, Shippershev, who went to, uh, to to Vegas, and Gusev, who went to, uh, what's it? Uh, did he New go to Vegas, too? I think. I, Devils, yeah. Yeah, yeah first. Um, th- those two were phenomenal playmakers and almost untouchables on the power play. So they rack up so many points there because you can't get to them. The problem when come to North American ice is, uh, one, they're not really getting that role and that line. So, okay, mm-hmm. you can play two minutes of power play every night because there's somebody better than them. Um, and they don't have the same time and space. Um, they get hit all the time now. Uh, like in the KHL, you, you can go a game without getting hit. Um, so there, there's a whole other level of, of physicality to the game where these skilled finesse guys, they, they, they just shine. Uh, like the, the the puck is on a string. There's no question the skill and everything. And I don't know um, Kuzmenko enough to to go in and say that that's exactly the type of player he is. Um, but just from playing and and that the, 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 it's not the dynamic Kaprizov that that shakes two or three guys and puts a top corner or, or stuff like that. It is more on the on the skill side of the game. Uh, he does have a little bit of size to him. Um, but but it is uh, you, you're running into a whole another game once you move from European to to North American physicality quickness. Um, there isn't time to dust off the the puck before you shoot it a lot of times or, or handling it. Somebody's on you right away in the corner. So that that's the biggest thing. Unless you have that that step in 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 your in your skating ability, it, it's very hard to separate yourself and let your skill come through. Well, and. Uh... You've talked about Kaprizov before because he was your teammate there in the in the KHL, and you could tell he was just special the the moment you started playing with him. Yeah, it's it's the skating. I I played with Barkov too um, in the in the lockout back in twelve and thirteen, his draft year, uh, and it is something just separates um, good players, like really good players, from phenomenal players. There there's something to their game where you can just okay that adds, like I don't know how you're doing that whether it's your skating, uh, puck handling. Uh, we see McDavid all the time, the highlights. It's like the puck is on a string. It just follows these players around. It's bouncing and bobbling, but then it's flat on their tape when they're shooting. Um, it, it's just something about it that just, uh, like when you look at a puzzle and the pieces in the wrong spot, it just looks wrong or right. And it's, it's very hard to put words onto what it is, but it, it's just something about certain players where, okay, there, there, there's something... Uh, a little bit extra to to this guy that that makes it that uh, he has an opportunity to to shine through. Yannick, we uh, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Enjoy. Uh, there is uh, the great Yannick Hansen. Terrific as always. Always. So, ooh, that was uh, spicy. Nikita Gusev, Shipashev. Uh, they didn't exactly work out. Now I will say this: Gusev in his first year. 44 points in 66 games, lots of power play time. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, he was productive. Mm-hmm. And what of the Canucks essentially kind of, what, what are the stuff that's kind of come out is they do believe you can play on the power play, and that's where you have to utilize them. Yeah. The question, however, in many other ways is, is he good enough to make an impact five on five to play big minutes? And that's going to be the biggest thing. Yeah. That, that, that part of it is interesting. Uh, he is a left shot. Uh, actually, no, he's a right shot. So, you know, I think the uh, easy correlation people are making is, well, if they move JT Miller, maybe he plays on the left half wall as that right shot sort of thing. Yeah, 
but there's a whole off season to figure out. And obviously he's not yet signed for the Vancouver Canucks. So um, to go down that road seems a little bit hasty, but again, you know, guys like Kaprizov and Panarin, they're kind of one of a kind. Well, and they're also super dynamic players. You watch Panarin play with the pace he plays, and you watch how he, what he did in the KHL. It was different. Yeah. And, you know, and I've watched some, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know Kuzmenko because I haven't watched enough of his game. But going watching some of the clips, like, you see a player who's clearly talented. You see a player who obviously has some translatable skills, and he can play in the NHL. I have no doubt that he can come into the NHL and play. Yeah. The question is, what is the upside? And I'm not sure when I watch him that he's quick enough to be an impact player. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean he may not be able to hold his own five on five and then be really good on special teams. And boom, all of a sudden, that's a good player for you. But uh, I would also, and like we've been saying, you know, I'm kind of, I would temper expectations. I, I kind of see it the way Yannick sees it. I, I don't expect at all. To see yeah. a superstar here. Well, what's what's hard about it is you might be a super skilled player, um, but in the NHL, are you able to showcase that all the time? Right. I mean, okay, you can you can if you've ever uh, seen the worst player in the NHL, yeah, just play like beer league. Yeah, it's a joke. Uh-huh. It's hilarious. Like <laughs> they're so talented, it's it's an absolute joke. Yeah. So a lot of guys have clear talent, and especially when you have more space, it becomes so much more evident, yeah. and you watch them in the cage, you're like, man, this guy's so good, and, and he is, but are you going to have the time and space to pull that off in the NHL? Yeah, you got an extra half second um, because of the extra space on the ice. Uh, it, it's Look, it, it's a free shot, as we've talked about, if they mm-hmm. end up with Kuzmenko, but um, not a slam dunk necessarily Dan Richo and Satyar Shah coming up we're gonna have Rob Simpson on the show his take on Bruce Boudreaux's return to the Vancouver Canucks after uh, well Bruce spoke with him earlier this week before eventually putting pen to paper on that option year Stan Richo, Satyar Shah, you are listening to Canuck Central. Canuck Central is a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Um, a lot of uh, reaction to Yannick Hansen, as always. Why is Yannick not coaching? This one from Jeffro. Did Yannick get an interview for any of the coaching or management jobs? <laughs> he should have, hey. Our uh, weekly uh our weekly reminder, we don't want Yannick to get a coaching job. No, we want more <laughs> Yannick on the airwaves. I'm going to be yeah. selfish. I like Yannick a lot. Um I I'm going to miss his hits if that were to happen. Yeah. And knowing Yannick, just cuz he's on the inside, he would give us nothing. Yes. So uh <laughs> there wouldn't be value in having an inside man, so to speak. Absolutely nothing. Uh, let's bring in uh, our next guest, uh, Vancouver Hockey Now, Rob Simpson, joining us here on Canuck Central. Thanks for this, Rob. How are you? Dan and Sad, how the heck you doing? Hey, man, we're doing all right. Uh, the uh, The wait is over. Bruce Bruce Boudreaux is uh, coming back. I know uh, you were the first to speak with with Boudreaux this week. Did Did you ever get the sense that this was in doubt? Never any doubt when it was clear that there were really no other opportunities out there and that really wasn't factoring into it. And of course we kind of joked a little bit about the dream job of the Toronto Maple Leafs. We knew that wasn't going to happen. He knows that's not going to happen. 
Um, and there was just a couple little issues for him that made it needed to be addressed. And I think once uh, word kind of got out there, um, everything appears to have been expedited. So good for him, good for the club, good for the fans too, because the response from fans when they heard there might be his return in question at one point was pretty sour. And then when uh, it started to turn in the more positive direction, people were rejoicing basically on, on uh, across our social media channels. So uh, everybody seems pretty happy. Yeah, Bruce, there it is. It's pretty strong in this market, especially when, when good news kind of comes around. And, you know, the thing you kind of mentioned, other teams may have had some interest, but there, it didn't seem like a market really developed for him elsewhere, did it? No, and, and you also just have to look at kind of his modus operandi over the years and teams that he's inherited and situations that he's taken over uh, in Washington and Anaheim, for example, in Minnesota to some degree. None of those teams were Philadelphia Flyers, right? And it's a, it's a mess. And he's a 67-year-old guy. He's a happy guy here. Uh, the situation's perfect for him. Um, that was never really something he even looked at. And, and the thing he's brought up on a couple different occasions was, you know, hey, I'm under contract. I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk to these people. And he has an agent in Gil Scott, but they weren't, they weren't pursuing anything. He was just trying to work out a couple of items at the Vancouver Canucks, and that was literally the, the uh, you know, basically the issue the entire time. Uh, I brought up, you know, for fun, the Toronto situation, because it looks like they could actually collapse again uh, <laughs> here in the first round. I was at, I was, it was hilarious. I was actually, last year I was at game seven with a friend of mine who's a Leafs fan here in Vancouver uh, against Montreal and at the quote unquote Maple Leafs bar of Vancouver and watched the Habs beat them and people were crying and I was just kind of sitting there neutrally trying not to laugh. Um, <laughs> And then I was there yesterday. It was kind of the same thing, massive celebration. And then, uh, you know, I warned him about Braden Point and, and uh, you know, and then sadness. And now they have to worry about this happening again on Saturday. But anyway, surely I digress. Um, yeah, so the Leafs, Leafs regardless weren't going to happen. Uh, Chuck Fletcher obviously is in Philadelphia. He hired him in Minnesota. They're good friends. Um, but Chuck really wasn't there that long with Gabby because he was replaced by Paul Fenton, which was a strange experiment that didn't last very long. And then uh, the former assistant from Nashville and then Billy Guerin took over. And I think it was about nine or eh, nine ish months afterwards that uh, Billy got rid of uh, uh, Bruce um, as things had kind of stagnated. Uh, and that's, and that's it. So there was really no other opportunities. I, I think it was just a matter of Bruce trying to work out a couple of details. You know, there was um, a lot happened uh, through last week and the season end availability from from Jim Rutherford. We were all kind of surprised at how open he was. Um, was there was there hard feelings uh, from from what was said in that uh, season end news conference and even in uh, the interview Rutherford did with us afterwards? I'm not sure if I would say there were hard feelings. I think there was just specific topics that needed to be addressed. A lot of people assumed, made the assumption, and this is a fair assumption actually, because it's, it's a, you know, it's a big area and that would be the status of one's assistant coaches, right? Because uh, he, he came in with Scott Walker, brought Scott Walker along and, and inherited Ian Clark, who by the way is not going anywhere because a happy goalie means <laughs> a happy Thatcher Demko means Ian Clark. 
um, Jason King, Brad Shaw, Kyle Gustafson, um, the things that he had on his mind that he told me about, which knowing Gabby, who knows, maybe he'll end up saying it here at his availability coming up in a little while, but I doubt it. They seem to be kind of more personal logistic related. Um, he did not mention the assistance to me and that could, that may or may not be an issue. And he just didn't, he didn't go there and add that to, to what he had said. Um, because obviously head coaches generally, uh, have a huge say in the entire makeup of their staff. Now he worked with Jason King, the two of them together, Boudreaux on kind of formulating tactic and personnel on the power play. And then Brad Shaw, after Scott Walker got hit in the head with a puck and had vertigo and issues for a couple of, or it seemed like a couple of months, I guess it was a little more than a month. Scott Walker, who Gabby basically calls the ultimate team player. When he got back, Brad Shaw was running the PK and he said, no, no, let, you know, let Brad continue running the PK. It's fine. Because uh, as you guys know, the special teams improved dramatically and for the most part continued to improve as, as the kind of season moved along. So he didn't express that to me. It, it'll, it would be my, I'm sure someone, five guys will beat me to the punch if I, if I get an opportunity to ask a question or two uh, on the public part of this, but I'm sure the assistant coaches will be right there at the top of the list. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that's one of the big, big things to kind of figure out here. But I, I think the other side of the entire Boudreaux situation, which was which was interesting was the notion before that he was going to come back before the season ended, that there was going to be an extension. Do you think at any point he was disappointed that an extension wasn't offered to him after how well he played, how well he had the team playing? Um, I, I, I think he had a pretty clear understanding. I think a lot of the speculation on a quote unquote extension was, was external. Um, I think he was, really clear in terms of understanding what he had available and what the status of that situation was. Now I can't speak for him as, as to suggest that he was hoping or thinking or contemplating the fact that, Hey, you know what? These guys ought to pony up and plan on bringing back for at least another year after this one. Um, he never has uh, kind of expressed those feelings that I'm aware of publicly or privately. So, I think he knows what he has, uh, what the situation is. And then what I, what I thought was interesting, Sat, when you're asking this question is, and, and I think uh, Dan brought it up earlier about Jim Rutherford, when he, Jim Rutherford goes through this, paints this scenario uh, with Mike Sullivan and talks about how Sully came in and, and, you know, won a cup, won another cup, didn't touch the contract, blah, 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 keeps on going. And then they finally um, redid it. And he said, we're going to stick to our guns and, you know, Boudreaux will coach the next season, then we'll address it. I would say about 15 minutes later in that press conference, he had kind of hedged the bets a little. And we heard Jim Rutherford kind of saying, you know, maybe we will take a look at it midseason if things are going well. So I don't know. There, it's, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it's just a matter of taking advantage of your opportunity making the most of it. And if you kick some ass here uh, coming out of the blocks, mm -hmm. unlike this last season, they'll have an opportunity to get him a new contract. Um, Rob Simpson, our guest here on, on Canuck central. So uh, the focus now turns to the off season. Um, we're all kind of curious to see what Patrick Alvine has in store for his first off season as, as general manager. 
It's not going to be a quiet one. At least that's the sense I get. What do you think is in store for the Vancouver Canucks offseason? Well, a lot of people bring up, um, you know, the cap and, and trying to relieve themselves of some cap situations. I, I, I think the Brock Besser situation is, is a giant one. They, you know, he's sitting here waiting on a $7.5 million qualifying offer as an RFA. That's a big, you know, topic. Um, I've heard people bring up Oliver Ekman Larson's name and saying, oh, my God, we're spending so much money on the D. Um, I actually asked Boudreau about this. He really likes OEL, um, loves to have that kind of, quote, unquote, insurance policy on the left side behind Quinn Hughes, a guy that can step up and quarterback the power play if Hughes has issues or is hurt, brings a physicality that Hughes doesn't have, a lot of characteristics, veteran leadership. Um, even though you want a younger core, it's a guy who does a lot of things and can fill in and eat some minutes and bring some nastiness to the game, which, you know what, I think at times the Canucks were too easy to play against, and that's that can be difficult, especially come playoff time. Um, ultimately, as he's pointed out, and many of us have pointed out before, you're strong in net, you've got a couple of premier defensemen, and you've got strong centers, and you build from the goal line out, and you want to have strength up the middle, the Vancouver Canucks basically have that. So it's a matter of improving their D depth and trying to add a little scoring on the wings and trying to figure out who's playing what wing. Um, Boudreaux also likes Connor Garland finishing up on the left side. So, you know, it's, it's just a matter of filling slots at the right price. I did a, I, I since I'm kind of mad at myself a couple of days ago, I did a piece on, on defenseman and, and brought up Oliver Ekman Larson and the cost of the Vancouver Canucks blue line in comparison to the rest of the National Hockey League. And I did it by hand and I've since thrown that sheet of paper away. They are <laughs> kind of up there in the higher echelon of cost, right? Yeah. In terms of D. And a lot of that is uh, Queen Hughes and Oliver Ekman Larson on the left side at, at almost, what are they, at 15 million. But you got to keep in mind winning teams, uh, in, uh, the three teams that I pointed out outside of the Pacific Division. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning being a number one when you've got a Victor Hedman, Ryan McDonough, Mikhail Sergachev all playing on the same side um, for slightly more than what the Canucks are playing. And those, there, there's a championship team. And the championship teams have D salary totals in the high 20s or even 30. And the crappy teams have D totals in 10 to 15, generally speaking. Yeah. So, People should not be afraid that they're necessarily spending that much money on a young slash veteran combo on the left side. Uh, he is Rob Simpson, uh, formerly with Nesson, MSG, NHL Network, and Sirius XM, and now Vancouver Hockey Now. Uh, thanks for this, Rob. Uh, appreciate uh, the time and great work this week. Hey, thank you very much, fellas. Look forward to seeing you around. Have a great weekend. Absolutely. There is uh, Rob Simpson, Vancouver hockey now some good insight on um you know just what is or was in the mind of bruce boudreaux and confirming some of what you said sat off the top of the show and even going back to yesterday was there a robust market to bring bruce boudreaux out of vancouver and um it wasn't there no, it didn't seem like it. And, uh, you know, to the point that Rob made, however, was that it didn't seem like Boudreaux was really exploring things either. I mean, I think he, he 
he had an understanding. I mean, where yeah. would you like? Would you want to go to Toronto as a dream job? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but that's probably not going to align for you. So many things have to happen. One, the Leafs have to lose, yeah. and hey, maybe that is inevitable, and uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens here on the weekend in Game Seven. But that was something that would have to occur. And then the other part too is the person that's in charge would have to want to hire Boudreau to begin with. So I mean. How's that going to happen? Is he going to wait around for that? And if that doesn't happen and Vancouver moves on, hey, maybe Philly. But even Philly, he knows is a massive disaster with everything going on. So, yeah, I think he had an understanding of what the market was or wasn't. It's it's real interesting how this all played out. And maybe there was a thought if a market develops, you can work an extension out or have some leverage to potentially get some more security from the Vancouver Canucks. Jim Rutherford played the cards right here. You know, that's that's one of my takeaways. I'm sure that's one of everybody's takeaways. And as I said last week, Sat, the thing about how they handled the Boudreaux situation kind of sent a signal to everyone around, in and outside of the organization, the Canucks aren't going to be easy negotiators. And that's where things currently stand. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. Cam Tucker of BCLC is now joining us. Thanks for this, Cam. How are you? I'm doing good, guys. I'm just prepping for tomorrow. It's been an emotional <laughs> roller coaster with those Maple Leafs and those Lightning. And uh, what a series, Game 7 tomorrow. It seems uh, fitting that this series should end that way. So Game 7 Saturday, it's uh, it's the place <laughs> to be at playnow.com. It is. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, guys. I've looked into this. The lines opened last night uh, shortly after Game 6 ended. And, you know, the Leafs opened as the money line favorites at home. Really interesting. 70% of the handle right now is on Toronto to win the game. 57% of bets are on Tampa Bay to win the game. So we're seeing, obviously, some larger bets right now come in on the Maple Leafs. More bets in in terms of volume on on the Lightning. So it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. Uh, You know, what, what a series. And for Leafs fans, I mean, we've got Leafs fans on our staff. Uh, at play now sports and uh, the tension is <laughs> yeah. the tension is palpable i'm sure it is and, and you know what you mentioned 57 percent of the bets are on tampa but 70 percent of the money is on toronto does that show the emotional side of uh the, the betting and the percentages when when it comes to um a canadian team especially yeah i i think that that's a fair statement and we're seeing that play out you know not only in in this game you know on for saturday but you know, like the the outright markets too. Like, there's an emotional response, I think, to Calgary being in in you know such a contender right now. There's an emotional response from fans uh, of the Oilers seeing their team potentially have a shot at at a long playoff run, provided of course they get through <laughs> Game Seven tomorrow. But I do believe that there is an emotional response here from the betters, especially when it comes to the Maple Leafs. You know, there's a little bit of history here. This is the first time that they can win a first round series. In 18 years, it's playing on the minds of, of, you know, Leafs fans, and I'm sure that there's some out there who have said, you know what, Game 7, this is it, this is our time, I'm, I'm putting the money down on Toronto to win. Uh, you can even go for, like, uh, the happiness hedge type thing, because we know there's a lot of uh, Leaf haters around town, so just, you know, if you bet on the Leafs, you know, 
you're happy if they lose or you're happy if they win because you got some extra bucks in your pocket. So yeah, I mean, for sure, we're say, hey, we're seeing Operation Fade the Maple Leaf <laughs> all throughout the playoffs. So it's it is a really fun dynamic because yeah, we we have taken a lot of handle obviously on the Maple Leafs to win this game. But you know what was interesting, guys, going into Game Six when we had the uh, the series winner market, a lot of the money was on Tampa Bay because for a large portion of this series they were actually the underdog. And you got a little bit better payout if you wagered on them. So, really interesting to see how that uh, how that plays out. And tomorrow, guys, I mean, I, I expect that we'll probably see that pattern continue mm-hmm. to tomorrow with uh, you know higher stakes maybe on the on the Maple Leafs, but maybe more volume of bets on the Lightning. All right. So to wrap things up for tomorrow's game sevens, what are the odds telling us for Bruins Canes, and then the big one in the evening, Kings and Oilers? Well, the Bruins are the underdogs on the road. And, guys, I, I did not see this series going seven games. But, uh, boy, the Boston Bruins have really fought their way back into this. Carolina right now, 1.74 to win at home in Game 7. And, you know, we're looking at the evening game. The Los Angeles Kings, a uh, plucky underdog here, 2.80 uh, going into the road tomorrow in Edmonton in Game 7. The Edmonton Oilers, uh, 1.45 to win this game. So, you know, they're they're... You know they're they're a big favorite. Uh, the Oilers are, but uh, in this series, I mean, uh, the Kings that they've made it this far, I think, is pretty impressive. And uh, now they've they've forced themselves into a, a one game winner take all situation. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out tomorrow with uh, with the betting patterns. Uh, we'll have some more uh, numbers coming up for you later in the show. But Cam, appreciate this, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, take care, guys. Uh, there is Cam Tucker of BCLC Bet on Hockey like never before. With Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. You are listening to Canuck Central. Let's get to the playoff goal horn quickly. Playoff goal horn is brought to you by Surrey Cedar. For quality cedar products, visit them online at surreycedar.com. The Pittsburgh Penguins. Sons Sidney Crosby. Up 2 nothing on the Rangers through 20 minutes of play. Best flow in the show, Jeff Carter and Brian Rust scoring for the Pittsburgh Penguins to put them ahead. Two zip. Again, the playoff goal horn brought to you by Surrey Cedar. Bruce Boudreaux, he's next on Canuck Central.